do have buildings now in the city paying upwards of 25 to 35 percent of their gross income in taxes and rental buildings. That's a significant and it's far higher than it is almost anywhere else in the country. Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Carol Kellerman from Citizens Budget Commission. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast. We're in our last few episodes of 2017, and we're excited about today's episode and the couple others we have on the calendar coming up. If you've missed any of our past episodes, you can find those at the Gotham Gazette website, at Citizens Budget Commission website, and all of your podcast platforms. So for today's episode, uh, we're joined by Martha Stark, now of NYU Wagner, who Carol will introduce further and provides today's data point. But welcome, Martha. Great. Thank you so much. It's uh, fantastic to be here. And for our data point today, here's Carol. Today's data point is $26 billion. That is the amount of property taxes the city will collect this year from resident and business property owners. It is the largest single source of revenue that funds New York City government. The system for valuing and taxing real property in New York City is complicated, involving four different classes of property, different limits on how much property tax each class can be increased in a year and over time, depending on the property class and the different portions of the actual market value of the property to which the tax is applied. A number of property owners, frustrated with the failure of the legislative process to reform the property tax system, have filed a lawsuit in state Supreme Court asking a judge to declare the system unlawful and unconstitutional and to order the state and the city to devise a fairer system. Citizens Budget Commission has filed an amicus brief in support of this lawsuit. Our guest today, Martha Stark, is a consultant to the plaintiffs in the suit providing legal and financial analysis to support their arguments. Martha is a clinical professor at the Wagner Graduate School of Public Service. She was the commissioner of the New York City Finance Department from 2002 to 2009, where she was responsible, among other things, for overseeing the assessment and collection of the property tax. So she is intimately familiar with its ins, outs, and problems. So, uh, this is a very, very interesting topic, and the use of litigation here to seek change is obviously uh, stirring up some controversy and stirring up some backlash. But um, can you sort of articulate the problem here for us a little bit more? What what has really pushed you to act uh, and, and this coalition to act? Sure. Um, so, again, thank you. It's great to um, be here. So, uh, essentially, what's um, gone on is that uh, the city's system was first established in 1981, um, which is really kind of an interesting time. The system was set up after actually a lawsuit um, that was a statewide lawsuit called Hellerstein. And um, the court in Hellerstein basically said to um, all jurisdictions in the state of New York that they had to value property basically at its real value, not sort of at a percentage of value, but at its real value. Interestingly, in 1981, the legislature acted by overturning that court decision. They passed a new law after a gubernatorial veto, and um, the new law, as um, Carol said at the um, um, at the head of this, um, set up four different tax classes um, and the like. So kind of what's transpired? First of all, 
um, when the governor's uh, team, when it was vetoed, they said there were going to be lots of problems with the property tax, was going to lead to some um, significant inequities, um, and it has. Um, and the city of New York has changed substantially since 1981. Um, you know, not the least of which is that in 1981, there were 100,000 co-op and condo units, actually not very many condo units at all. And now there are about 500 plus thousand co-op and condo units. Um, And there's a provision in the law that says co-op and condos get valued by comparing them to rental properties. It's led to some really um, interesting inconsistencies where you have co-ops selling for 30, 40, 50 million dollars and are paying taxes as if they're rent-regulated rental properties. So it's led to some serious inequities. And then uh, Carol mentioned that there are assessment caps and the like, and those caps have also contributed to a system where if you're in a neighborhood who and your value doesn't go up very much, you're paying a higher tax rate, effective tax rate, than people in neighborhoods where values go up tremendously. Um, I feel like I can speak about this a little bit. I grew up in Brownsville. Brownsville's um, effective tax rate is quite high. It's a lower-income neighborhood. I now live in Park Slope. Park Slope, um, and I actually own a co-op in Park Slope. My value, I'm happy to say, has gone up sort of tremendously. And the taxes that I pay compared to my value are so much lower than, for example, um, of homes. And so um, what's happened is this coalition of people started looking at the issue and actually noticing also racial disparities. So if you looked at neighborhoods that were, um, you know, more um, significantly minority, they were paying higher tax rates than um, sort of non um, sort of um, minority neighborhoods, sort of majority minority neighborhoods. And so um, it, it just meant it was time. It was really time to sort of get everybody to look at this system. There's not a person in the city who has said that the property tax is a great system. Everyone thinks it's broken, but no one has acted to do anything about it. And the court being one of the, you know, sort of three, you know, prongs of government and its role is to really balance equities. Um, we felt that it was time to to file this lawsuit. And so when you say, um, you know, just for some of the layman folks out there, when you say effective tax rate, mm-hmm. and and we're talking about property taxes here, we're talking about uh, a lot of homeowners, yes. um, whether they're houses, single yes. family houses, two, three family houses, and then also the condos and the co-ops that you mentioned, which have become much more uh, prevalent right. over the last decades. Um when you say effective tax rate, what does that mean? Sure. I'm, I'm glad you um, asked. I'm sorry to kind of use that lingo. Um, no, I, I just wanted to sort of add one additional thing, Ben, which is that um, renters pay the property tax. I don't want people to lose sight of that. So I think you're right. Good point, um, good point. Thank homeowners, you. but, you know, the owners of apartment buildings, they take that tax and they pass it on to renters. So um, I, if... if people leave with nothing else. I want them to leave with the notion that renters should care about this issue because it directly affects how much their rents are. Um, And so um, your question about effective tax rate is really a very, very good one. The effective tax rate is just the taxes that are paid by the property divided by its market value. Um, And um, the Department of Finance uh, comes up with market value for 
class one, which is one, two, and three family homes, they use sales price. Um, so you could also say, well, what's my um, taxes as a percent of my sales price? And in fact, that gives you the fairest sort of comparison to other um, people. We've done lots of different analysis um, of this um, issue. We've even done a little analysis that says, what are the taxes per million dollars of value, just so that you have a kind of common uh, mechanism for comparing fairness to um, sort of unfairness. And it's really sort of fascinating because you can then do it across the different tax classes as well. I was going to um, ask you to clarify, you're right, if there, there are two things I would think people should take away from yes. this discussion. One is what you said about renters. Yes. Um, landlords have expenses, including taxes, and those expenses go into the rent. Right. So renters do care should care about this. Yes. The second one is that the tax rate that the city assesses is not the same as the effective tax rate. And mayors will often reassuringly announce that they mm -hmm. haven't raised the property tax rate. Right. But that is not the same as the effective rate that an individual homeowner or business owner pays because the market value right. ass process, assessing process, differs, and because the percentage of market value to which the tax rate applies differs. So yes. just because the official tax rate is not changing does not mean that individual properties taxes are not going up every year absolutely I, I mean I think this is this is a, a pet peeve of mine um, I, I if you want to get me crazy just um, like have me open a newspaper where the city council and the mayor say that they haven't increased a tax rate um, because as you said Carol everyone's taxes are going up and there's sort of two factors what's um, I've always remembered is what's different about the property tax and every other tax like the income tax the income tax we report to the government how much we earned. And, you know, while now the government can find out how much we earned in very sort of different ways, the truth is we're reporting it to them. The property tax, the city tells you what they think your value is. And so as a result of that, they could decide in any given year your value's up more than they, um, you know, the market or however it is. And your taxes are a combination of your increase in your assessed value as well as the rate as well as how much money the city wants from the tax. And um, when all is sort of said and done, actually this last year, um, the property tax bills for most people has gone up 7%. The levy continues to rise significantly. So the amount of money that the city's trying to get from the tax is ever increasing. I, I suspect it's going to increase more, um, especially if federal sort of changes come down on the pike. And uh, you're absolutely right that the taxes are going up. And this focus in on a rate that nobody pays, because what they're really looking at is, what are my taxes as a percent of my market value? What were my taxes last year and what were they three years ago? And there's not a person really in the city who could say that their taxes have gone down. Why, why hasn't this been taken on? I mean, you have firsthand experience here as, as the finance commissioner. Um, what's, and I know, Carol, you're intimately familiar with this, obviously. So what, what has kept this from being approached? I've, you know, in my time been following Mayor de Blasio and obviously heard some of his reasons, excuses, you know, whatever you want to call them. But 
Uh, he's promising to take this on in term two. He doesn't think that it should go to a court to decide it, uh, you know, in response to your lawsuit. Um, but why why is this so hard? So I think there I think um, there are a couple of fundamental reasons. One, I think Carol said at the um, outset, it's a very complicated tax, right? And so if you walk around the city and talk to people, everybody actually thinks their taxes are too high. Everybody including those people whose taxes are not too high, like who really are getting a break. And part of the reason why that's true is because they're comparing what they paid last year to this year and three years ago um, and the like. So there's no one in the city who says, oh, by the way, I actually know I'm paying too little in taxes. I mean, it was like one or two people um, actually who lived in Park Slope who would say, my taxes are too low, sort of charge me right. more. So, so I think, one, it's very, very complicated. No one sort of understands it. Um, Second, you know, you know, we used to say we had this joke among uh, tax, um, you know, collectors where we would say there's this sort of saying, don't tax me, don't tax the tax the one behind the tree. I think there's a little bit of that. Um, I think people feel like no one's paying their fair share. Um, and um, what's interesting about the property tax is the city has absolute authority in terms of how much they can raise from the tax, but the structure of it is actually at the state level. So it creates this... Um, um, basically ability to blame someone else for it. So you talk to the city council, the city council says all of our constituents are upset about the property tax, but they don't even think they have a role in why their constituents are upset. They say the Department of Finance is responsible for it. The Department of Finance says, no, we're just trying to get the value right. So it's the city council, they try not to sort of say that, that's actually raising the tax. So you get like everybody pointing fingers and because it's so complicated, it's um, it's very difficult to have anyone accountable for it. And I think that's part of the reason why it's important for the judiciary to sort of articulate what are the important kind of considerations to have a fair tax system. And I think that um, that's kind of what we're hoping for, is that the court will articulate what are those core principles, and that maybe it forces the city and the state to really come to the table and figure out a fix. And when you have sort of that bifurcated responsibility, it is very easy to point fingers at Albany and Albany to say, you know, where's your proposal and, right. and things like that. Right. And then, you know, it seems like to me when you overlay um, aspects of race and class on this, as Absolutely. you mentioned, you're talking about people's bills who would probably go up that are politically powerful, are more likely to be donors and things of that nature. It's more likely to be single-family homeowners, to be frank. And right. though the their representatives don't want to be responsible because, because the way the system works now, single-family homeowners, one to three-family homes, is called class one. Those are very powerful constituencies. And we we're happy to have single-family homeowners in New York. As a class, they are not paying their fair share of the property tax because the, the market value of the single-family home ownership compared to that of class two, which is apartment buildings, um, is higher than the proportion of the tax that they're paying. And so there's a fear if you try to make the, the taxes more rational and fair that there will be winners in some areas and losers in others. And no one wants their constituents to feel that they are being disadvantaged. Fact is that in New York City, 
the single-family homeowners pay such low property taxes, even in the higher taxed areas, compared to the rest of the, the state. You know, the people in Nassau County, Westchester, has right. the highest property taxes in the country. Right. We have nurtured our homeowner class in the property tax, and relative to other places, they pay very low taxes. But as Martha says, it doesn't seem like that when you're the one getting the bill. Right. Um, another thing uh, that I saw mentioned yesterday is that the property tax is one of the only ones left where you actually get a bill for it. Right. Your, wa- your, your, huh, your taxes on your wages yeah. are, for most people, it's taken out yes. in withholding, and you don't pay much more at the end of the year. And so this is the thing you actually get a bill for and are aware of in a very specific and direct way. Mm-hmm. There's a perfect fix, right? You just figure out a way to you know, make mm-hmm. that a little less painful and obvious. And well, you know, it actually is um, for some people if you have a mortgage. A little, um, a little bit more mass because the mortgage company pays the tax on your behalf. And so what people end up seeing is that their escrow amount goes up at the end of the year. Um, but sometimes they can't tell if it's insurance or whatever. So there's a little bit of um, a, a way of masking the property tax kind of as well. I did want to comment on the um, sort of thing that uh, the point that Carol just made. Um, what's interesting about um, what, what she sort of just talked about is, you know, there's so many aspects to the tax that are so complicated. So the first one is, what's my what's my value and who decides my value and do I think they actually got it right? And I think for homeowners, what's interesting is because the Department of Finance values homes based on sales prices, it's kind of easier to see, oh, you know, my property, I just bought it for 600000 The Department of Finance has the value at 600000 You can kind of see a little bit more of a connection to it. Now, your taxes aren't based on 600000 but at least you could say, it looks like they got my value right. For um, class two, which are apartment buildings, including co-ops and condos, there's no relationship, basically. If I bought my co-op for 600000 the value that finance has on it is so much lower than the 600000 that you don't have a kind of comparison to say, did they get this number right? And the same actually is true for commercial properties. Utilities will leave off the um, table for a moment, even though they're very important. So, so one of the things that's very interesting... So. Finance has to get the market value right. Then they have to assess it. Then there's this tax rate thing. And then there's how much money do we want from the property tax and what each class pays of it. So it's really sort of interesting. And and, and just the last thing I wanted to say is class one's share is based on sales price, whereas the other classes are based on this value that tends to be lower than sales price. And so while the data that's out there suggests class one is paying such a um, small share of the tax compared to what they represent, I actually think that if we put those shares based on everyone's market value, the numbers would jigger a little bit um, uh, differently. And so the impact wouldn't be as great as people fear. Good point. So... Back back a little bit to the process forward. Sure. Let's talk just a little bit more about the city and state responsibilities here. Sure. Um, let's just take your lawsuit aside for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, the mayor's 
promising probably a commission. The city council, we even asked on this podcast, we asked Councilmember Ferreras Copeland about this, or, or she brought it up mm-hmm. um, as something she regretted not having moved forward with something the council had promised to do on this. Yes, when, when Melissa Mark Viverito and Julissa Ferreras said that they were going to have a commission yes. on taxes, mm-hmm. and they did include property taxes, but I think once they got into, the into it a little bit, they... <laughs> narrowed the focus of their commission to looking at tax expenditures, right. which is very worthwhile, and, and they have done a very good job on that. But right. this is a much more sensitive issue, and they didn't do it. And I did ask the mayor when he spoke at the Abney, Abney right? breakfast a few weeks ago mm-hmm. um, about this, and I said, you've opposed the lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think this needs to be addressed? And he said, I promise, and I stick to my promises, <laughs> that I will address this in my next term. But he hasn't said any more about how he plans to go about doing that. So there, there are some things um, that the city can do on its own, um, actually without even state legislation. So the city can do something to correct um, the inequities within class. So um, if you look at the homeowner class and you're concerned about um, the fact that uh, neighborhoods that are majority minority are paying a higher tax rate, there's something that the mayor and the um, the mayor can do. Actually, his Department of Finance can do. Um, it's not that people don't like it because the way that the rules work. I mean, again, complicated rules is. Um, Everyone's assessed at a percent of their value, and that percentage is supposed to be uniform. It's not uniform. I mean, we could show you data where you look at um, people paying $4,300 in taxes, and their values range from a low of 300000 to as much as $9 million, and they're all paying $4,300 in taxes. So it's not a uniform system, and nobody kind of um, uh, disputes that. The only option is for the mayor to lower the assessment ratio on um, the properties, on um, the mayor and his sort of team can lower the assessment ratio. And if they do that, they actually will create more uniformity within the homeowner class. The things that um, the state has to do is ask questions about whether or not the assessment caps make sense or continue to make sense in this current sort of environment, and also to look at things like, should we be valuing 30 and 40 and $50 million co-ops and condos at a fraction of what their value is, that's state law. So the state has to look at that. And again, what's interesting about um, within this um, apartment building class is if you value co-ops and condos too low, the people picking it up are the rental building owners, which means the tenants are actually paying that. The tenants tend to be people of color. They tend to have less money. And they are paying a much, much higher load of um, taxes as a result of a crazy law that really, at, at the time that it was established, might have made sense, but does not continue to make sense. For and it largely doesn't make sense because the landscape of buildings, residential buildings, has, has changed, changed so much? Substantially. It, initially, um, when they put the law in place that said you value co-ops like rentals, it's because a lot of the co-ops were converting from rentals. And so they were, you know, so the, the idea was we didn't want to 
um, diminish, you know, sort of discourage people from actually going to sort of an ownership model mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. New York City's home owner rate is so low. Um, but you wanted to sort of encourage people to actually sort of own. So that made sense kind of at that time. But given sort of the growth um, and boom in the in the market, it just doesn't continue to make sense, especially when you have, um, you know, buildings where finances market value for them is lower than the sales price of one unit in that building. It's really <laughs> okay. absolutely insane. Yeah, that's a good uh, reference point. Yes. It, there's no guarantee, however, if the let's say the city took the steps you say the city could take on their own, there's no guarantee that rental prices, that landlords are reducing rental prices. So it's a good, you know, it's a good question. Absolutely. There's no guarantee unless you sort of say like you want something like that, you know, but it's, it's no, you're right. There's no guarantee. Although, I mean, make no mistake about it. If, if, you know, you want to compete and part of your operating expenses come down, it's more likely that they're going to sort of bring it down. I mean, I think part of the dilemma for us is we're in a regulated uh, market and and the rents um, in different apartments vary so much that there could be an apartment, you know, sort of a tenant whose rent doesn't even cover the taxes that are actually on um, that sort of unit. So I think that um, some of it is going to have to sort of um, the interplay between the regulated market and what that kind of may- means um, doesn't guarantee that you know sort of taxes go down, but I do think that having um, taxes as a percent of people's gross income lower is going to make a difference. You have buildings now in the city paying upwards of 25 to 35% of their gross income in taxes and rental buildings. That's a significant, and it's far higher than it is almost anywhere else in the country. I wanted to ask you, you said something in the course of this discussion yes. that um, was contrary to what, to what I have been thinking, which yes. is that the federal tax, pop, the, the, the federal tax bill mm-hmm. that looks likely to pass in some form is going to limit the amount of state and local property tax that people can deduct from their federal tax returns. Right. And that seems to me to indicate that it will lower property values in places because the property tax burden will be higher. Right. And the market will account for that by lowering the value of property, which is something that New York has to be worried about. Um, you uh, you made it sound like you thought that it would increase the value of property. Well, you know, it's very interesting to me. It depends, right? Um, so, right, there's a version of the bill now. I've been trying to sort of track every version of the bill that sort of says um, – that that was you can deduct property taxes up to ten thousand dollars, and I don't remember if that's the Senate or the House version. I'm sorry, it's I just the said, House. Yes, the House version. And so I don't know. I don't know where this is going to end up. But I sort of just for fun did a quick analysis of one, two, and three family homes to see how many of them are actually paying more than ten thousand dollars in taxes. And it's a pretty small number. About forty-seven thousand are paying more than ten thousand. So what's interesting to me is that. It suggests that maybe, actually, maybe it gives you room to say the property tax could be higher, especially if you're not allowed to deduct state and local taxes. And then what version, what what impact that's going to have on the market, I'm kind of curious to see. But you're right. And to the extent that you can't deduct, um, it might bring down sort of um, house prices. Um, and I think that 
you know, for I, I'm, I'm a homeowner and I certainly think about those things. Like, is my value going to come down? Is it, um, but some of it is very sort of dependent on what, what's going to happen. I just think that the city's going to need to rely on the property tax more. And as a result of that, they have to do that on a structure that's much more fair than the current one. That's that. That's right. Which makes the need it makes the need to reform the tax all the greater. But right. I just want to add to you. It's interesting that you looked to see, yes. but you looked at single family homes. I didn't look at not co-ops condos. And condos. I didn't look at co-ops and condos. And it's interesting because some people, like you talk um, to um, even like city council members, and they look at the condo taxes and they say, "My God, this person is paying ninety thousand dollars in taxes." And then you say to yourself, okay, but they're paying $90,000 in taxes on a $100 million property, right? And so what are the taxes per million? And the taxes per million are not as high as, you know, you want to look at it. So one of the challenges, I think, about the property tax, and this is why the the work the Citizens Budget Commission does is so, like, um, crucial, is actually um, trying to present the data in a way that people actually understand it and then can ask themselves questions of, like, does this make sense to me? So you'll look at condos, they're paying something like $7,000 per million dollars of value, and then you'll look at a rental building that's sold and they're paying $22,000 per million dollars of value. That doesn't make sense. It absolutely doesn't make sense. Or you'll have homes that are paying 12000 per million dollars of value, but co-ops at some other sort of number. So the question I'm always, you know, sort of struggling with, you know, both as a teacher, but also as a person who cares about this issue, is how to present it so people really get at, here is what the problem is, and we really want to fix this problem. Because otherwise, it's very easy for our eyes to kind of glaze over, um, uh, and our attention span's not as as um, high as it used to be. And so, um, and, and this is really complex. And and translating the data into those, you know, using those common denominators makes a lot of sense to show uh, the inequities. And, of course, this coalition is called Tax Equity Now, which is very evident in the the name of the group. Mm -hmm. So we're in our last couple of minutes here with Martha Stark, who is uh, a former finance commissioner uh, for the city and is now a professor at the Wagner School at NYU and is... uh, part of this group uh, that has sued to try to get action on property taxes. So let's wrap up on this lawsuit. The mayor, when Carol asked, was very definitive that the court is not the way to do this. We don't want the court, some judge deciding the property tax system. What are you hoping happens from this lawsuit? So um, pretty clearly, we we think that, um, you know, not only has the cities have said that, but they filed a motion to dismiss the action. Um, you know, we have uh, Judge Lipman as part of our team, and he's um, he's pretty, like, confident that we're going to actually survive the motion to dismiss and that the court will um, sort of rule. And again, we're not asking, this is not a monetary action. We're not asking for any um, sort of a monetary compensation of any sort. What we're asking the court to do is say, you know, the New York City property tax system is broken. And um, given that it's broken, here are really the most important things for the city to sort of think about in terms of the city and the state to think about in terms of um, fixing the system. And And compelling them. And compelling them Mm -hmm. to do it. Because (laughs) without that, it's very clear that 
for many, many years, people have said it's broken and nothing has happened. Um, and this intersection between the mayor, the city, the state, um, the, a court saying this is what has to be done is, is really the only way that anything's going to get done. And do we have any sense of timing? When, when might this be, if it is going to be uh, forced upon the unwilling actors at this point? Do we have a sense of... It's really good. It's a really good question. I mean, as we, uh, we were talking about uh, before, the first sort of steps that the city um, sort of took were around saying people with filing amicus briefs couldn't file that. Um, so that was sort of a little bit of delay. Um, we're thinking that maybe the motion to dismiss gets argued sometime in mid-January. Um, and then once the, the uh, judge rules on that, then we're in a stage of discovery. And um, I think it's going to be a little while, but um, we'll see if the mayor says he really wants to fix it. I mean, one sort of option is coming out of a hearing on a motion to dismiss. If the judge says, no, we're not dismissing the suit, he could at that time say, well, we'd like an opportunity to you know, establish a commission and put together a proposal. And would the plaintiffs kind of agree to that? And I think then we'd talk with the coalition and see what's the best approach. Okay, very interesting. And we'll be waiting to see if maybe now as he enters term two and is promised to take this on, he even does something like preempt that hearing and by announcing a commission or, or something along those lines. But we don't know. Uh, and so we'll see. And so Martha Stark, thank you for joining us. Thank and you for, for illuminating this, this issue for us and lots to watch in uh, into 2018 on, on property taxes here. Thank you all for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you.